Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome back to Print Hustlers. Uh, did you forget? Hold on. Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome back to Printavo, Print Hustlers podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. we got Mr. Stephen Farrag out of Campus Inc. We've got our CEO, actually, CEO of Printavo and Inksoft now, James Armesio, coming up on the show. Pretty cool, actually. He's just a boss, and I'm not trying to suck up... Uh, to my manager here, but we're talking about professionalizing your business, leveling up ourselves as leaders and very tactical. Cause I hate like going too vague in this stuff. It's like, you know, do, do the best thing you can, but it's like, here's really tactical stuff you can start doing. But real quick, we've got some awesome sponsors that we want to talk about and make sure you are at Print Hustlers Conf. We've sold uh, about 110 tickets so far. So super exciting. Ooh. Bruce, what's that's the, what's the format this year? Tell us about that. <clears throat> so we've got Saturday, November 5th. That's going to be great because uh, people come in, start around 2 to 3. We've got Printavo training, a ton of best practices training that we're going on with e-commerce, with um, Power Scheduler, with API stuff, just all really cool, neat things that you want to be able to see and check out. We'll maybe share some roadmap stuff there too. Then at night, we've got a welcome dinner planned. So come hang out, come talk, come meet a bunch of other people. Sunday, a little bit different, but Sunday is a bunch of speakers. We've got a ton of different speakers from different areas. Very industry heavy, very tactical. Very excited about that. Um, and we're going to be sending out more snippets of who's joining, but about 90% buttoned up. And then Sunday, we've got a tour. We're, we're buttoning up that as well. We're buttoning up a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> but that's going to be really neat and, and a neat uh, screen printing shop in the area that a lot of folks want to see. Printhustlers.com. Grab your tickets and use the promo code last year. All one word. Ooh. A little discount on it. So thank you. All right. Okay. Real quick sponsors. though. We got to thank four awesome, amazing sponsors that if you're looking for different services or supplies, please check them out because they are supporting this space and um, they produce some really great products. So first up, EasyWay. You shouldn't spend all day cleaning dirty screens. EasyWay's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and will cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. It's turning into a jingle. Um, we we got to turn it into a song. But seriously, uh, we use EasyWay every day in our shop, um, and it is the easiest way. So thank you, EasyWay. We appreciate you. Bruce, Multicraft. Multicraft Daddy. Where's Multicraft Daddy at? How many followers does he have? Can you look it up? I'll, I'll, I'll check. Right. I'll check. I'll check. If you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years have been providing you with top brands at competitive prices. But this is really cool because you can mention the Print Hava podcast and receive an extra 10% off your first order. So check out Multicraft. They are great. Dave Thanks has 465 followers. God damn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. We're proud right, of you. Dave. Keep it up. Keep You're it up. Awesome. Dave put out a pretty funny video the other day. <clears throat> He's really leaning into it. We're really proud of him. Keep it up, Dave. Social media um, master, Dave. <clears throat> GraphX Source. Bruce, do you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department? <clears throat> I'd love that. Um, if you go to 1900hotstuff.com, you'll find two beautiful human beings. Um, Graphic Source offers industry-leading outsource options for your shop by truly becoming part of your team. 
They plug and play with Printavo and other shop management softwares. When it comes to SEPs, mockups, creative art, order management, embroidery, digitizing, back office admin, and customer service, there's no better company in our industry to work with. With over 30 years in the game, they really know and understand shop needs and have a proven track record of success. Hit up Graphic Source for your art staffing needs. Mention the Printavo pod. Get 50% off your first vector, set, or embroidery order. We actually just brought on another um, team member from Graphex to help us in back office. They're going to be building online stores, order mm. entry, all that kind of stuff. So thanks, Graphex team. We appreciate you. And uh, I think sponsors of Print Hustlers. Can I announce that? Oops, yeah, sorry. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Graphex is a, a huge sponsor and awesome partner to work with. Uh, mention Printavo Pod, 50% off your first order. Factor steps and embroidery. I actually just use them to refer them for helping a friend uh, with a sports logo. So Sweet. that was cool. They were fast and the uh, stuff was really good quality. Speaking of fast, have you heard of Supercolor? Supercolor Super- is the world's best heat transfer made by screen printers for screen printers. Supercolor understands firsthand the pressures and expectations of the screen printing business. That's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. Um, We use Supercolor every day in our shop. Their color gamuts are spot on. They ship really quickly um, all over the United States. And you can experience them for yourself using promo code PRINTABO15 and get 15% off. Thank you so much to the Supercolor team for always supporting us and being an awesome sponsor. Thanks. Love it. All right, guys. Let's go. Hey, Pronouncers, welcome back to the Printable Pronouncers podcast. Thank you so much for being able to join us again. We've got a very special guest, Mr. James Armijo, our CEO, Mr. CEO, Mr. Worldwide. Um, he is our CEO of Printable and Inksoft, of which we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, just some really cool experience here. I was supposed to play this sound intro while I was doing this, but I realized it's actually harder to hit the, uh, to hit this button. So a little bit of backstory here. So, um, last year, as a lot of folks know, listening, um, Printavo and Ingsoft partnered with the same, uh, private equity firm called Blue Star Innovation Partners based out of Dallas and, uh, PSG equity, um, they're out of Boston. And part of that was how do we uh, be able to look at both businesses to, to be able to use the synergies of both and be able to continue to grow and, and help this space. And then also, um, how do we bring in more experienced people to be able to help uh, drive the business forward and, and take us to the next level? And what I call really professionalizing the business. And we've talked about this a lot. So... That's the stage I'm going to set. James has been a CEO. I had to look on your LinkedIn, um, a VP, a, a director, just all of everything from operations, success, sales, uh, just a lot of things. Um, and so I, I think there's a level of how do we make our businesses better with somebody who comes from the, the more clean cut world? Okay. The non-screen printing world, Bruce. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. J- James, I think this is really interesting simply because Bruce and I have been talking about this for a really long time. Um, about how, you know, owners of companies aren't necessarily supposed to be the CEOs, but they just kind of end up there. Um 
And then they're like, oh my God, I don't know how to run this company. <laughs> I'm just here. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, you came into an industry, I don't think you printed before. How many tattoos do you have? No, I'm just kidding. Um, were, you a, were you a touring musician? Um. So I, I have a unique perspective on screen printing. Which I know everybody likes music and I'm not fashion music. I love music too, but I'm a, I'm an avid runner and cyclist. And so I love race t-shirts. Um, and so one of like, I've always been fascinated by this industry because every time you do a race, you get a new shirt. Usually that now hats are kind of becoming the thing, but um, that's been my perspective. So no, I, I was never, I never owned a printing shop, but I have a great collection of race t-shirts and some awesome some favorites but made by some some pretty cool shops so what what made you interested in this industry because it is when people say like i've heard bruce explain yeah i run a software company that helps manage print shops and people kind of like huh um, <laughs> t-shirt what what made you interested in it uh when the opportunity approached itself yeah. So, um, I won't belabor the point, but you know, I've spent, um, I, I basically have worked in three companies, all of which sold software to small businesses. Um, and I worked at this company called Cario for a while. We, we made software for small doctor's offices and I worked at a company called smart care, which made software for daycare centers. And now obviously here making software for print shops. Um, what all three of those had in common and what, is the kind of common vein that attracted me to this opportunity is that they're all in industries where um, you have independent businesses, right? Typically like owned by the founder or, you know, maybe multi-generational, but still pretty small. And sometimes there's a few big, like super corporate kind of players trying to take over the industry. Um, and what I loved about my experience at all three of those companies in here is the opportunity to allow small businesses to have the same tools that maybe one or two really big players have and to compete at the same level, but still have kind of the passion and soul that they have for their community and for what they do day to day, their employees, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, I got to see that at working for small doctor's offices who were trying not to get absorbed by major health systems, working for small daycare centers who love taking care of kids and delivering great education. And, you know, now getting to do that for small print shops, you know, trying to fight off the likes of Amazon Merch and, and the others in the world. And um, I just love being part of that mission and kind of being uh, part of the the company that provides some of those tools that makes that possible. Fair. This could be this could be a uh, uh, an alternative episode where a, kind of like a therapy session or no, not therapy. <laughs> like um, like okay, because you're going through this, right? I mean, just like professionalizing every department, putting management. Because I think what happens to James is any small business is going to try to self promote somebody into some sort of leadership role. Uh, as in like, okay, this person wants to grow, but they, um, they can maybe manage art department or they can manage department or, or the production. They, they're a good printer. Right. Um, I guess first Farag, what's been your experience trying to do that in different departments thus far? So, you know, yeah, like we, we've been dealing with this and we obviously raised some money we've got investors coming in. Um, and there's a point in the business that's humbling where like, I am no longer qualified, nor should I be running different departments of the company. Um, like I'm not a finance person, you know, I love sales and marketing, but I'm not even like the level of what a VP of sales, like we talk about Kevin Baumgart quite a bit. And so there's, there's this first like big reality check. And a lot of the investors have asked me like, where do you see yourself? 
Like, would you, if, if we thought that, you know, you weren't qualified to run the company, would that be okay with you? So I think like the first part of it has been like a very humbling experience to know that like, I am just, I use this example, I am one pole in the circus tent, <laughs> but I have to put other poles up that are bigger than me to make our tent as big as possible. So I think that was like reality check number one. Reality check number two was the people that I'm going to bring into the business will know nothing about printing, but they will learn that along the way because the qualities they have from their other experiences are far more valuable than perhaps the actual like ink on a, on a screen. Um, and so that has been another part of like, okay, we, we just hired a CFO, knew nothing about the industry. Um, our director of NIL knew a little bit about sports, but knew nothing about printing, well, a little bit about printing, right? So it's it's been this whole like, what's the first 90 days look like? And that's what I've been trying to work on is like, how do I help the first 90 days of this new employee in this new industry? Um, and that's been my experience so far as, as we bring them in. So it's like, it's a very eye-opening experience. James, I'm curious to you, what were the first, and there's a great book called The First 90 Days. I bought it. I haven't read it. I need to read it. James, <laughs> what, what was the first, the first step? Uh, what was the first 90 days for you? Like you're coming into something you don't know much about, maybe a little bit, right? What was yeah. that first 90 days? What was that transition like? Um, was it awkward? Tell, tell us about that. Um, I think it was awesome. I'm sure it was awkward, maybe more awkward for other people than for me, but I had a great time. Um, for me, I I'd say coming in, the most important thing is, is, is to be humble. I think maybe that's true in any endeavor, but certainly when you're coming into a new company, there is so much experience, whether it's about the industry or about the customers, the product, the experience, all of those things that are impossible to absorb in 90 days that the, the most important thing you have to do is, you know, tip your hat when, when you're in a moment uh, and just try to absorb that, but also just recognize uh, that other people have it way more than you do. Um, you know, I'd say that from my perspective, having been through, so I've been on both sides. I've been, you know, uh, I was never, I, I've never been the founder, but I've been businesses where I was like the first 10 employees through an exit. And then I've been in this side where, you know, I've come in kind of after the exit and having seen both of those perspectives, I'd offer kind of like two observations I think were really important in my 90 days. The, the first is, and you made a really interesting point about bringing in people with diverse backgrounds. And I do think that that gets lost. Um, but I think the question that I always ask is like, what do customers care about? Because customers don't care about what kind of ink we use either. Like they just, they want a cool shirt for their concert or they want, you know, a, a great uh, shirt for, you know, for their team sports. They don't, they don't really care. I mean, they may have some lightweight expectations, but they're not, they don't know what model of Gildan shirt you're using and they don't care, right? What they care about is maybe design or they care about the time it takes to get delivered. And so the first questions I ask is like, what do customers care about and where can I find people who know how to solve those things? So if my customers care about how quickly can I get shirts, then I don't care if you've done printing before. What I care about is do you understand supply chain and can you get a product out really quickly? And maybe that means you came from the cereal industry or you came from, you know, I don't know, like fresh produce where you can't afford to have some things wait. But that I find to be really important because then you start bringing in these skills that matter to your where the outcomes matter to your customers and you're cross pollinating different things, you know, different skills into the organization. And the other one for me that is really hard and um, I'm I'm a new parent. I've got three young kids and I'm just starting to experience this. But I, I, I hear about this from people who have older kids. And I think the analogy is really true in businesses is um, you have to take success when the business can 
uh, parts of the business can run without you. And I think that's really hard. Like I, I experienced this with my kids where it's like, uh, all of a sudden my daughter doesn't need me to get Cheerios for her anymore. She knows how to pour her own Cheerios in a bowl. Very minor moment in my life, but I was like, man, I'm not in control. Like Saturday morning cartoons were like, I got her Cheerios. And that was like, I, I was doing something important, right? I had a purpose. And now I don't have a purpose. She gets her own cartoon. She turns off the TV on all by herself and she doesn't need me anymore. And, and it, it hurt a little bit. But on the other hand, taking pride in the fact that, you know, she's she's made this minor accomplishment. And I think it's probably in the child analogy, more meaningful as you get later in life. But in the business world, I, I, I think if you can shift your perspective to say, it's not me doing this, right? But it's me enabling other people to go do things that matter for our customers and deliver great value to them. Uh, and you can take a lot of pride in that. Um, and it takes a hard time to do that. Uh, but I think if you do those two things, uh, and that's kind of what I focused on in my, my first 90 days was like getting us to a point in, as an organization where we we're doing those things, then you've really built a team that will go beyond the 90 days and hopefully, you know, be great for nine years or at least nine months. <laughs> Bruce, what was that like as a founder for you? Like you, this is your baby, you know, there's a bust of your head that travels around the United States or world. <laughs> um, uh, which I have some questions about later, but, uh, you were obviously like going through the acquisition and stuff. What was that like for you when they said, Hey, like, or did you say, I think we need a CEO. What, what was that like for the founder? Um, no, it, 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 I, I was not the right person for that role. I, I, I think like, um, it's interesting because, um, James, we talk about this theory of, of what is the exit strategy? Um, it's this video that Rob Derdick actually made. Who I'm sure you know, uh, James is a previous skater as well, or maybe a little current when you have time. But um, Yeah, all the kids call me the old guy when I go to the skate park now. Like my ego <laughs> okay, can't handle skate. that. All right, they are, <laughs> yeah, they are, uh, they are very young too. When you go there, you're like, should I be here? Like, what, what is, what is going on? I don't remember man. this. They, just, they don't hold back. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember this at all. Um, th there's, there's a moment of, um, what do you want longer term as, and it, and it's not as, as far as like a sale, I mean, but like he was talking about like, what are you passionate about to actually do day to day? So, and then building the business around that to go towards a long term. I think we're all very much so focused on week to week or maybe even day to day of just getting things through, getting orders out. Um, but we sort of forget about what does next year, like the next five or 10 years even look like, like, do, do we want to work, you know, 20 hours a week and, and cash flow really well. And, and, you know, the owner makes a good salary and take home. Um, or does the owner like, you know, are you super, I've seen some shop owners really passionate about printing, right. And they want to be super involved in that and, and be testing new things. And, um, I think that, you know, Danny, uh, from, well, I guess his shop's not Denver print house, but, um, whatever his new shop is, you know, he's very passionate about the printing process and, and the chemistry behind it, um, and new techniques. And that's where he carves his niche in and then he'll hire somebody else to manage sales and stuff. Um, but I think James specifically brought in some really good experience of, of being able to combine multiple businesses, manage multiple departments at scale, and then be able to take that to, let's call it a $50 million business, right? You know, way down the road, something like that. Um, and that, I mean, to be honest, for me is kind of cool to learn from, but I'm, uh, going back, like even to 
a business that's call it 500 to a million. Like that's when you jumped into Campus Inc., right? It's fair. Okay. So what, if we could talk about the journey of professionalizing the business and, and like creating the process, creating the true management, when do you think that's a good time? Like and maybe James is when you've seen it. Cause there's too early where the business literally can't afford it. And it probably may not even have the process for somebody to jump in or there's too late. And it, and I think it depends maybe on the department too. So maybe first Steven in that period, when you joined, were there people that you feel like could have helped to be a true manager to, to really professionalize it. And then I'm well, curious on your I th- thoughts. I think James. like, okay, they brought me into the business. You know, my business partners are twice my age and mm-hmm. they, they had said like, we're going to let Steven run this and we'll focus on the printing or whatever. And so like I was, I guess, junior CEO in training at the time uh, to start to give a mission, vision, strategy to the company. Um, but I think the first thing that I was doing, so like, okay, after getting my feet wet, learning about printing, was like uncovering founder bias or founder mistakes. You know, what are the glaring things that the founders that have been doing? So if you're a print shop owner and your kid's coming into the business, they're gonna point out things to you and say, mom and dad, why are we doing it this way? Like it's 2022, like, there's no, and, and that was the first decision we made was like, we have to get on Printavo. <laughs> um, but that was like the first, was just un, uncovering these like rocks and pebbles that have that have created bad habits in the business, whether it's customer communication, uh, whether and it wasn't on printing technique. It was all everything except for printing delivery speeds, right? Like answering emails, proofs, approvals, all the stuff that was common to me, but not common to them. I think that was like the first big phase was and then you know, probably well, so is that is them. that more process thing then less of a person managing something? Because it sounds I like the it, other owners were managing the production side anyway. Yeah, they were managing the production, but it was just like me being kind of a surgeon and then getting them. I think the hardest part, Bruce, that, that we struggled with was getting them to accept it. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I think we need to send out proofs before we print. Well, we've never sent out proofs before we print, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, well, that's not going to go well, you know. Um, or, or things like that, or, or we need to get on the graph X or we need to do that. So I think like step number one for me was probably like one or two years of just me, um, and, and, and getting their trust and getting them to kind of let go of the vine or whatever, like they say in traction. Right. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, then it was time for us to start saying, okay, what are the hiring decisions or the managing moves, all that stuff, I guess, James, from your standpoint, how often is it that you see a business just being crippled by mistakes that the self-proclaimed founders are are making? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, my, my totally uninformed opinion is that I think that founders, you know, help and hurt probably in equal portions. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's all one or the other, but there are a couple of things that I think are important questions to ask. And, and the first one in my mind is, does the, does the thing that you need to solve, you know, whether that's production or logistics or customer service or, you know, sales, whatever it might be, do you need a team or do you need an individual? And I, I, I think too often people don't start there. They start with let's solve it. Oftentimes, especially at small scale, you need an individual. 
And finding somebody who's a great individual uh, is very different than somebody finding somebody who can build a team. Um, I, I told Bruce this in a kind of just, you know, I, I think we were having a drink or something conversation, but I really wanted to start my own company at one point. Oh man, this would be great. I would love doing this. And then I thought about what that actually entailed. I talked to some people who I really admire as founders and I went, the idea of locking myself in a room for 13 hours a day and doing stuff that doesn't involve working with other people is like, you remember that book, 1984, where they send you to some room and it's like your worst fear ever. And that's like your punishment. Like that would be my punishment. You just stick me in a room and make me, (laughs) you know, sit in front of like, uh, uh, some kind of website that I'd have to figure out how to program for 13 hours. Like I would hate it. I love working with people. I love being part of like teams and getting teams built up. Um, so I say all that to say, like, I think oftentimes founders don't think about that. Right. So they might hire an individual contributor and then Bruce's point, they make that person the team leader when he or she never should have been a team leader. They're great at being individual. Um, or they think, you, the problem is you really do need a team. Like it's a big production organization, right? You need multiple people running, uh, running presses and doing a variety of other tasks. And instead you put an individual contributor who's great at maybe doing his or her own thing, but would be horrible at managing a team. And and so I think not thinking about that dynamic is really important. Um, and that changes by function. And I think it changes by scale, but to answer your earlier question, Bruce, I think in general, when you start early, you're, you're about hiring individual contributors and, you know, you get to the point of now we need teams for all these functions. In my mind, that's really kind of the tipping point. And I don't know where that is in terms of revenue, but I think it's probably a couple million in revenue, um, somewhere in that range where you really have to shift your, your mentality. Um, and then on the founder part, you know, it's an interesting question. I'll, I'll, um, I don't know how, again, how true my observation is here. Um, but I, what I would say is that, Working with uh, founder-owned, privately held businesses versus institutionally owned, you know, whether it's VC or private equity-owned businesses, the difference to me um, is how really how you want to uh, discipline the organization. Because if it's a founder-owned business, at the end of the day, you're, you're still going to optimize around generally around what is that founder taking home. Um, maybe now, maybe in the future, but really what that founder is taking home. And that has one set of outcomes. And if you're optimizing around a kind of institutional owner, then what you're really optimizing around is what is the the overall value of the business. Um, and those two things are actually different. Um, I think a lot of times people think they're the same thing, but they're, they're actually very, very different. Um, and they cause the, the, the team and the company to do things differently as well. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a lot like a lot of founders I've talked to, I've said like, Hey, if, you know, what you really care about to, to Bruce's point is you want to just retire, then you should really bring in investors because they'll help you focus on creating the most valuable business, which ultimately you can sell and retire on. And if what you really care about is being the master of your domain, then absolutely don't bring in investors because they're going to be a total pain for you. And you can, you know, kind of optimize the company around your own personal outcomes. And again, I think that's a personal decision, not a, there's not an absolute right or wrong. There, there's definitely a dynamic of, of discipline that you mentioned too. Um, I, th- I think, you know, when it's owner operated, it definitely, fair, we've talked about this a lot where there's no, there's no coach, there's no one you're reporting to, right? So, so you're doing the best you can, you know, you're pushing things forward, but there's no sort of guardrails to push it forward. 
where uh, now we have a board, for example. And so there's definitely guardrails and there's like a a plan of where we want to go longer term, which is funny, though, because I think when we were 20 people, we just started to get to a point where I feel like everybody needed a further North star than this one week outlook that of like solving problems, you know, putting out fires, putting out fires, putting out fires. And, um, from the traction book, we created the 10 year plan, three year plan, and then back then the one year plan. Uh, but that started to help give us a bit of discipline. And, and I guess where I'm going with this is like from a financial perspective, um, when is it a good point in the business life, uh, Stephen, you first of like when you should, when you feel like you should have created a longer term outlook and maybe it's just for the year of like, okay, financially every quarter, maybe every month, here's what we should be doing in revenue. And here's basically what I think the expenses are going to be, especially with the seasonality. So that, so there's an understanding of where we're going to be at. Well, I, I think it goes back to like kind of what James said is figure out your outcome and then you have to build it backwards, right? Like if it's, look, I want to work 20 hours a week and I want to make 200 grand a year. What do I have to do to get there? And then everything goes back to the, that starting line um, or the other way. Like I want to get the business to a point where I want to sell it in order to do that. It's going to take this, this and this to professionalize it. So I think really thinking hard about the outcome and the exit. Um, and then going, you have to like run it back all the way to the starting line. Um, and, and we run into this or we ran into this. It it was, it was a forced hand once we started raising money because like the investors started asking us, where do you see your revenue in 18 months, 24 months, 36 months? What are the milestones that you have to hit? And they weren't writing me a check unless they like what those <laughs> you're, you're like you're like getting that text message and the text message of hey all these tumblers are missing straws <laughs> yeah like, what, what uh, do i do what do i do like hey the shirts didn't get delivered what do i do so to that point once it got legit and crazy i'm talking to you every day i'm talking to kevin Baumgart. i'm talking to my professors at u of i every day i'm talking to accountants cfos and you know my my best friends that work at morgan stanley and they're helping me model all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how the hell am I supposed to do this? But would you have done that? Do you feel like, okay, no. it was now a good time? Or would you have started this I, like when you were a million in sales? I would not have done that unless I, I think like you necessity, necessity is the, the whatever that term is, right? Um, yeah. It was like a forced hand. If I if the company was going as is, no one would have ever forced me through those exercises. Yeah. Like, ever. <laughs> Right. Um, and I had no, I, I have no, I still don't know what I'm doing. I hope no one listens to this, but uh, <laughs> I still have no idea what I'm doing. And that's why I'm like, okay, shoot, we need a CFO. Like we have to hire a CFO to do this. James, how did you like, as I'm learning, like what a professional CEO looks like versus like a founder CEO, um, there are some raw skills that are like super important from a finance standpoint, management standpoint, developmental standpoint. What are what are your big pillars that you stand on? Are you a big finance guy? Are you more like managerial? What's I'm, I'm not. Yeah, under, I don't know too much about you, but I'm curious to hear. No, it's it's a, it's a great question. Um, I'll start by saying that I think uh, in general, this is an overgeneralization, but it's it's one that I'll stick to. Um, revenue cures almost all problems in a business. 
So starting with how do we get more sales, um, I think is, is always a great pillar to start at. Um, so it depends on the industry, Uh, you know, for, for what we do, a lot of that is about how you build a really authentic outreach to your community so that they trust your brand and they trust the solutions that you're delivering to them. And of course you've got to deliver, you know, good value in your product. But, um, I think that's different in a screen printing business. I wouldn't, you know, profess to know that I'd like be an expert at it, but I I think figuring out how you get more sales is always a great place to start. Um, the second place I would say is, and this is very specific probably to like software, but I do think there's a version of this in the print industry that's equally important is around product. And when I define product, I go back to where I started before, which is understanding what customers want, not what the industry wants. So if I, if I'm a SaaS guy, product is all about how it's hosted and what kind of agile you use, what language you're writing your software in. Customers don't give a F about whether or not you're using Ruby or, you know, something else or .NET, right? They don't care. And they're never, very few will ask you, maybe some will ask you, but it probably won't even be that important. They'll ask you just to prove that they know how to ask you the question. And so it's really about understanding what is important to them and, and building things that, that match that value. Um, and that's, you know, I was using my analogy earlier. If, if customers don't care what type of shirt and what kind of ink you use, but they care about how quickly it takes to get their shirts, then focus on how quickly you can get them their shirts, right? Um, and so I think focusing on that is like my second pillar. The third one is finance. Um, I, uh, uh, this is, I think, probably the single biggest piece of luck I had in my career. But um, I was in a finance position. I, I did working for a, a public company. So big company doing all this modeling stuff that you talked about. I, I've, I've built many models in my career. And I think having that level of understanding has really helped me because um, ultimately I think you have to be able to, to, to straddle both sides of the world. You have to be in the, the people, the intangible part of the world where you're dealing with your team and your customers and figuring out how to make that work. But you got to, you got to have the ability to understand how that translates to the bottom line. Right. And so, um, for me, like I, I try to understand, you know, what our month to month plan is, have those numbers kind of memorized and then be able to kind of go back and forth. So if we're talking about doing a great event, I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. I know how much we can spend and I, and I know how many leads we need to get out of it, but I, I don't have to focus solely on those things. I can also focus on building a really awesome event that people really love. And I think too often people, and maybe it's just like how our monkey brains work. We, we think in these dichotomies that like either you have to be pure numbers or you have to be kind of pure, uh, you know, non-numbers. And, and the answer is you got to be both. Um, and you got to, I think, be equally balanced between those to be, especially as you get bigger and bigger, because it gets harder to manage things in, at scale if, if you're not able to both quantify and be intangible at the same time. When do you think it's a good time? If we could say, okay, shops, at... A million dollars in sales a year, roughly, you should start to create your annual budgeting plan. Like, is that a good, is it like, do we all think that that's a good number? Is that too late? Is that too soon? At least just something rough to understand, like where we should be at to understand hiring needs, to understand, you know, uh, to have, have some sort of, you know, bumper, what do they call it? Bowling, I think, there, I think there's like head, head count, Bruce. It's like when the owner no longer is like... Okay, that's fair. Because if it's retail versus contract printing, there's a little bit difference. Yeah. Okay, from from my perspective, it was when the unknown became too unknown. Like I knew, you know, when I know I've got five employees and my payroll is 
$20,000 a month or $30,000 a month. Like that's a very concrete number. But now it was like commissions are starting to get high remote employees. How much is this? What is healthcare cost? What is this? And those are like these unknowns that start to just bubble and inflate. Um, And that's when it started to get scary for me. Um, When it was nice and small and everyone was under one roof and I could talk to everyone every day. I, I didn't feel like I necessarily needed that. Um, okay. So maybe it's not a number. It's, it's, it's I, literally I a feeling. I, I I'd have a, I'd maybe just building on the feeling. There's a really simple test in my mind that, um, so I, I've been lucky enough to also help some other companies get started. And this is the test I've always used with the founders there. Um, I say, okay, like, let's say, let's just, let's make, let's use your million dollars. So you're doing a million dollars in revenue. Let's say you've got $800,000 in expenses, right? Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good margin business, right? Um, I would ask the founder, okay, you've got, you spent $800,000 last year or on a run rate basis, whatever the measure is, but you spent $800,000 last year. Can you 80, let's say 80% of that. So 640 K. Can you tell me what you spent 640 K on? And if the answer is no, you can't tell me what you spent 640K on, you need a financial plan. Because you clearly, the business has gotten to a scale where you're not able to manage it by feel and by head and by memory, right? Um, And so I don't know what that number is. And maybe that number is different by individuals, right? Like maybe some people could, you know, or I I know some super detail-oriented people who could probably keep track of $5 million of expenses in their head. For me, it's probably like, I think I'd probably start losing track at 200,000 just because like I, 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 I don't track those things all that well in my head. So I, I think it's a little bit relevant to who's doing it, but I think the answer is still the same. If you can't honestly out of your head or out of memory, say what you're spending money on, then you need a plan to go figure it out. Steven last month, go. It gets like the bigger it gets uh, once lines of credit start to come into place and AR, like yeah. AR, like yeah, and payables and receivables and royalties and licensing and you know all that kind of stuff. It's not. It gets scary really, really quickly. And it, uh, I was talking to Brett Bowden about it, and he's like, the, the time and energy it takes to run a four million dollar company, a seven million dollar company is generally like the same. Getting yeah. from four to seven. Bruce, you tweeted about this the other day. Um, that's that's yeah. that's the hardest very, part. Very expensive. Um, it is very expensive <laughs> because you're you're learning for the first time and you're like, oh shit, moments are are coming out. So, um, James, can we can we chat a little bit about like how? Okay, so like you're the CEO of Inksoft and Printavo. How how is that? Um, we can maybe be vulnerable for a second. That was <laughs> definitely a a bomb drop. And Bruce, for Bruce to tell me, he had to tell me in person. Uh, he wouldn't tell me that over the phone. What was that like for you? Did how much backstory did you have going into it? Uh, I think it's super interesting. Good, yeah. bad, tricky. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd say I definitely I had like um, an academic appreciation for uh, because I heard both stories, right? I mean, I, I obviously had a chance to talk to Bruce and talk to Scott and JP before I joined and hear their stories and hear their perspective of the other and. Uh, but but you can only get so far in hearing a story, right? Because I just hadn't personally experienced it. And on the other hand, coming in from outside, I think I had a leg up in that I was just kind of like, well, we got to make this work, right? Like, I think I used the analogy early on. It was like, it was a little bit of like an arranged marriage. It was like, guys, divorce is not an option, right? So we got to figure out how to be happy and have some kids. Let's uh, let, let, Let's sit down and figure this out. And 
I think maybe not having a bias one way or the other was actually a real advantage there. Um, the other thing, though, I would say I, I would just give a tremendous amount of credit to all of the the team for both both companies, especially the, the folks who had been with both those companies for a really long time. I think it would have the easy path would have been to just say, I'm better than you or I don't want to work with you or whatever. Right. Um, and and on the other hand, I think what actually happened was everybody, for the most part, gave the other team the benefit of the doubt. And when they did that, they realized like, oh, we're, we're a lot closer than we are dissimilar. Um, and we can, more importantly, we've got a vision where we can do great things for our existing customers and, and for the industry and those customers who aren't our existing customers if we really combine forces in a way that we couldn't have done independently. So let's go do that because that sounds way better than you know bickering with each other. Um, and I, that was really cool to see that come together. And I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. I think we just had a great team that, that did that sort of organically. <laughs> how how do you see the two starting to like work off each other? Obviously it's been pretty clear that like, Hey, everyone, we're going to run this, you know, they're both going yeah. to run independently. What have you started to work on that long-term vision? Um, Steven wants an know? integration. He uses both yeah. himself. <laughs> Preaching to the choir, my friend. Preaching to the choir. Um, that's exactly it. We're eventually headed, you know, so, so how do, so the question is, is, by bringing these two companies together, how do we create a technology? So I, I go back to where I started. I would love to be in a position where any print shop has the same tools available to them that a company that has the ability to do their own in-house software development has. If that's our you know, guiding star, how do we get there and how do these two companies together and the areas where they were clearly overlapping with one another was kind of like, you know, call it e-commerce, web stores, whatever you want to call it. Printavo had merch, Inksoft has their web store solution. And then on the production management side, Printavo has, you know, has as a solution as does Inksoft. And so I think where we are headed is a world where we'll build on Inksoft's e-commerce and web store capabilities. So focus more of our development resources there and build on Printavo's production management capabilities and build an integration between the two so that as a customer, you can eventually get to a place where they they feel seamless, even though, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, I don't think customers care that Inksoft is built on .NET and Printavo is built on Ruby. They just want them to work together, right? And they want an order to come through a web store and to get produced and get shipped out and to make that feel really seamless. And we have a heck of a lot of work to get there, but I think that's the, you know, that's the overall guiding vision. Um, and ultimately, the reason I think we can get there faster is because if you think about the two companies being separate, Printavo was trying to build out merch and be better at web stores and Inksoft was trying to build out production management. And by doing that, neither one of them was getting better at the other thing, right? Um, and now we can take the same amount of resources and get better faster, Um assuming we can figure out an integration, which we can, but we just need to put a shoulder to grindstone against. It's interesting thinking about the whole, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting thinking about the whole coming together. I, I personally, you, you know, if you're very competitive or play a sport or something like that, like you, you just like want to win and mentally I, all I want to do is win. And so it took probably like three to six months for me just to be not like mentally attacking um, you know, <laughs> them or, and I'm sure both ways, right. Cause it's like, you want to win. There's only, you know, eight or so, maybe 10 different options in the space, but, um, it's been, it's been kind of cool to be able to, uh, work together. Bruce, there, there's been a continuous humming of, you know, we interviewed Mark Kudre last week of consolidation, acquisition, joining forces with other shops, like 
I think there is a, there's a wave coming if it hasn't already. Um, but I think that you guys have shown the industry that, Hey, like you can actually put something one plus one is three here. You could put your heads together and make something bigger. And I've heard tons of murmuring of, of, of it everywhere. I guess, James, what advice do you have for shops that are either looking to get acquired or thinking about acquiring someone or, you know, do, do you see it a lot in your small businesses, like maybe the daycare industry, stuff like that? I think that's super yeah. interesting. For sure. Um, yeah. So daycare went through a very similar trend. You know, like if you think about daycare, uh, you know, if you've got uh, it, it kind of makes sense to maybe have locations across multiple areas, right? You have one in each suburb or in different neighborhoods in a downtown location. And so you would see that happening where people adjacent to, to one another would start merging together. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to what we, where we started earlier in the conversation, we were talking about what does it matter for the owners? If you're looking to retire, you know, and sell, that's one thing. If you're looking to kind of sell, but stay on, I think that's the trickier one in the, in the retire one. Um, I'll just be, I think generally people say things like, you, you know, care about your legacy. And, and I'm just like, oh, come on, please. Like, you know, you're selling to sell, like get, get the best price you can. If you're, if you're checking out of the business, if you're selling to stay in, that is a really tricky sell in my opinion, because every it's, it's like dating. Everybody will say the right things and part of the deal. And you just really don't know once you put a ring on it, like you just don't know what's going to happen seven years down the road <laughs> um, and people change and all that stuff. And so, you know, the, the key I would just say is if you're selling to stay in the business is to really focus on um, are the partners that you're going to have, whatever that means, the other people who are going to be part of that business, are they the kind of people that uh, you can work through, that you can problem solve with? Um, it's not, do you like them and do you add value? Because the, the most important thing is, can you solve problems? If you can solve problems together, you'll be okay because eventually you'll have them and you got to solve them. Um, you know, if you're looking to do an acquisition, that's a bit tricky. And, and the reason I say that for print shops in general is it, it's really hard. The reason you would, you know, want to do an acquisition, I think, is to add some, hopefully to add some capacity to the business that you don't already have. Right. So maybe you're not doing a lot of promotional products business, but there is somebody who is, and that's, you know, additive to what you have because your clients are asking for a combined apparel and promo products or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I, I, I would say uh, the other component that's really tricky is, you know, you got to deal with whoever the, the seller is. All that to say, um, I come, I would come back to say, are you, have you like, do you have your house in order? Have you done through that thing we were talking about earlier where you figured out, do you need individual contributors or teams? If you've crossed the chasm from individual contributors to building a team and you feel like your team can take on more capacity, then you're probably in a position to do an acquisition. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, you've got some great individual contributors and you're thinking about buying a business, you've now exponentially made your problem more challenging because you haven't even solved how to scale your own business. And now you're going to try to throw in something else that seems a little bit like a recipe for disaster to me. Um, and you might be better off just figuring out how to scale your, your own business. So I think it's, it's a lot of case by case, but those are probably the big categories that I would think about um, as people think about consolidation overall. The last point I'll make is I do think consolidation was accelerated by the market conditions that we were in over the last couple of years, cheap debt, you know, all these other things. Um, and as we get into 
a more normal environment, it probably slows down a little bit would be my guess. Yeah. We've seen with, uh, is it SNS or was it TSC apparel? TSC, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Augusta has made, you know, gosh, eight different acquisitions. Uh, obviously custom Inc. It's on a bit of a buying spree too, but that's kind of interesting thing about buying another business. Cause I know like Steven, you've talked about this and you know, we've had some, phone chats of like you considering a couple of different businesses for different strategic reasons. But, um, do, do you think that you guys would be at a point or what, what do you feel like you would need to be able to absorb another company? Cause I see a lot of folks do it more locally, James, where they're trying to, you know, cause so many shops are very locally driven. And so they want to be able to source up more sales, but they're saying, well, I'm only going to get, let's say 50% of the sales actually continue on because there's such an owner sales driven. Yeah, exactly. That thing yeah. That's happening. And so, you know, maybe you collect half, you sell off the equipment that helps pay for some of it. Is there another strategy fair on your end that you've looked at other than sales? Okay. So I was talking to I think my dad about this or someone said, if you took that same amount of money that you want to buy this other company with, and you just invested it in what James said, scaling your own business, would you go faster, more responsibly and actually know what you're doing? Oh, it's just buying someone else's problem and trying to absorb it all. And it's so like, I what's think, the best? And not knowing why. what problems you're buying, by the way, because you'll no, never not, know. You're, yeah, you're buying a lot of unknown problems. Yeah, and so and so, like, if you took that same amount of time and energy and and money and spent it on just doing what you were doing and doubling down on it, uh, would you actually, you know, look down a, a magic eight ball and be much happier than than acquiring someone else's? Um, I think to James's point, if you are buying into a vertical that you are now adding right? Like promotional products um, or sublimation or something that you currently weren't doing um, that now is going to help you be better. Kind of like, you know, printable soft merch, merch versus versus production manager. Um, I think that's where it starts to make sense. Like I've been approached by a lot of them now. For some reason, when people hear the word investors, they come flocking being like, buy me, buy me, buy me. Spam. Uh, uh, yeah. Like the, the inbox. The, uh, was the it inboxes. that or was it the Inc. 5000 thing? Oh God, Inc. Five thousand. Oh, it's somehow they allow you to sell, or maybe they just give away your email address after qualifying for that. I don't need <laughs> business insurance. I don't need credit card processing. If <laughs> you are listening to this and you found out we were on Inc. Five thousand, <laughs> please do not call us. And I am the wrong person to call for your services. <laughs> um, I have. I we could we could do a whole podcast on Inc. Five thousand. Um, but, but I've come up with a, a reply, by the way, every time somebody hits me up, I, I reply right now. One of our big challenges is hiring. Um, so I reply with our careers page. I say, if you can fill, if you can refer a candidate who fills one of these job openings, I will do a demo with you. Um, so far, nobody's taken, taken me up on the offer, but I, I figured I, I might as well try to get something out of it. <laughs> um, the craziest part about Inc. 5000 is you pay like three, 400 bucks to get there, did all the revenue stuff, whatever. Um, they hit you up every day until you actually finish the registration. And then once you win, it's 1500 bucks to use the logo. Um, I might be a whistleblower for Inc. 5000. But, they give you okay. a third of, uh, of all royalties that people have paid. To use a black and white logo is 1400 bucks. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I I go go get fourteen hundred bucks to charity um, instead. Uh, no, 
But anyways, I think uh, I think it's an interesting topic and I think a lot of shops are thinking about it. And I think it's important to think about, like you said, Bruce, like having your exit in mind. If you're a shop owner and you've been you've been at it for 15 years, do you have something that you're going to be able to sell, pass off, retire okay. with, cash flow? Can, can you buy a company for sales, James? Is that a, is that a thing? Like could, could, could a shop, like could Steven go to another shop in Champaign and be like, we want to buy you guys just because you're doing a million a year and we think we can add, you know, maybe half of that onto the bottom line that will stick around over time. Does that make sense? Like that type of arbitrage or no? Um, it could. I, I think you raised the critical point, which is if the, um, if the majority of those sales are the result of the of the direct relationship of the founder and or people who aren't going to stay on after the acquisition, then I don't think it all, it almost never makes sense in that scenario. And there are very few businesses where that's not the case, right? Where it's, it's a true, it's just a pure professional sales team that, you know, they're kind of mercenaries for hire and they're going to just work for your company after the acquisition. Um, so I think that's, that's really the rub to be honest with you, with, with those types of acquisitions. Bruce, it's different from like Salesforce acquiring Slack <laughs> than like print shop buying print shop, you know? That's where it's like, is it an asset sale? Are we just buying their equipment and a small book of business, saving a couple employees' jobs? When you um, thought about it, why did you back out? Uh, I think to James's point, what you don't know really scares me. Um, yeah. And then really saying, is this just an irresponsible is the more responsible thing to take that same time, money and energy and put it into my own business. And every time I go back and I'm like, yeah, I should probably just do it in my own business. <laughs> it's less and, exciting. And, and Bruce, you always say like, oh, but you can grow faster. But you could always, you could add $2 million to your top line, but you could add $2.1 million of expenses that you have to cut through and try and rip out and deal with. Like, it's not always just pretty. Um, some, and this is what someone, I don't know, maybe my dad tells me this, like, Someone's selling their business for a reason. If they were crushing it, they probably wouldn't be selling it, right? Like, there is a reason behind every sale. Um, I think it's important to important to know that. So, yeah. Okay. Last riff, James. <clears throat> um, you, as a leader, I've noticed you've done super, is a couple things, and I'll mention if you don't. But um, a lot of people listening are either managers or or small business owners in this space, what are things that we can do as owners that make us a better leader though? Sure. Um, and you can I'll be as honest, direct as possible. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't, that's kind of the only mode I have. So that's good. Um, the, the biggest thing I would say is thinking about, and this is a really hard one, but thinking about the business in multiple dimensions. So to use an example, to use specifically what I mean is, when I think about our mission, I don't think we have a mission. I think we have multiple missions. We have a mission for our customers, which is the most common mission. And I think that's the mission that most people think about. But we also have a mission for our investors. We have a mission for our employees. And we have a mission for the community that we're part of, right? Um, and those things aren't always aligned. But I think you have to think about them so that you have your, your North Star and you have to get the rest of the organization to think about it. Because oftentimes your employees will think, well, what's in it for me, right? But they're not thinking about the mission for your customers or your investors are what's in it for me, but they're not thinking about the mission for your employees. Um, and so figuring out how you not only have all of those things, but you reconcile them with one another is really, really critical um, as part of founding the overall organization. 
the second thing I would say is, um, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the, for me, the, the best thing and for any leader, the best thing you can do is build an organization that as long as it's on the happy path, it works without you. So the proverbial, you get hit by a bus, what happens? You don't ever want that to happen. What I mean by the happy path is nothing's going wrong, right? Uh, blanks are getting delivered on time. All your materials are available. Uh, your equipment is working. Uh, orders are coming in. All of that, that should, that, that garment should come out without you ever being involved. Um, and if you can get, if you can use that as your own guiding star in building your team, that's great. But the other thing you should do is you should realize that the real value out of the organization isn't managing the happy path. It's, it's building a team and a process that'll do that without you, mm-hmm. but it's being there to take ownership when the proverbial, you know what, it's the fan. Um, and for me, that's really important because that's what I think so often organizations want out of their leaders, right? They, something's gone wrong and they don't want to be the one on the hook. You got to make a, a tough call and there's a possibility that you could be right and you could be wrong. And a lot of people don't want to take the risk of being wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be the one who says, all right, guys, we're going to, you know, we can do A or B, we're going to do A. And if A fails, it's on me, but everybody jump on board. Let's go get it done, right? Because something's gone wrong, right? Our inventory hasn't showed up on time. We got an upset customer or whatever. Um, so I think having that dynamic in your head is really, really important. Um, and then the last thing I would say is what I said earlier, but getting to this place where, uh, you can balance between the, the personal kind of component of your business and the financial component of your business and realizing that they're not mutually exclusive, that in fact, they have to be combined with one another. I, 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 for some reason, I just got lucky and I I think in my world and I just think that way, but I, I so often talk with people who are like, Oh, I don't want to talk about the numbers. Right. And, or other people who are like, don't tell me about so-and-so, you know, having some personal problem, they're row 148 on the budget spreadsheet. And both of those extremes are wrong, right? The, the, the reality is that both those things have to coexist because you have to deliver a bottom line and you have to take care of your customers and your people. And you have to, you're the reason you're in the seat you're in is because you're the one who's going to figure out how to do all of that simultaneously. Um, or as Bruce, you've probably heard me say, um, I like this phrase. I don't know where I got this one, but you're going to make everybody equally unhappy in the worst case, right? <laughs> the um, sometimes that's the best possible outcome. Um, but, you know, you got to get there. And, 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 you know, if you can accept that sometimes that's, that's going to be the, the conclusion of the day, I think that's a good thing. What about, what about any also super small things? Like, like one thing I've noticed you do, and, and also, Stephen, you, you, you told me about this. So basically, uh, if you want somebody to come to a conclusion, you, you tend to ask a lot of questions for them to come to the conclusion on their own. Um, and I think Steven, you, you helped me work through this cause we had somebody that we let go a while ago. Um, and, but, uh, the thing is though, is that I will actually get a little bit impatient of doing that <laughs> like over time. And so I'll, I'll just like, just like blurt it out just a minute, which isn't great. But so are yeah. there any other very, like small things like that, that you feel like are helpful that things that you've picked up over time or learned from others. My grandma once told me, uh, my grandma was this very Irish Catholic lady and she's called me Jimmy. She said, Jimmy, patience is a virtue you have yet to receive. Um, and, uh, I think she is very true about that, but I, I struggle with being patient. It is so hard to ask those questions, but for me, I, I think it's just about like, how do you flip it in? You said you want to win. I love to freaking win. So I said, okay, this is how I'm going to have to win, right? Like the way I'm going to have to win is I'm going to have to grit through two hours of asking questions when I already know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, but 
that's the way that this team is going to get there. So I, I, I'd say, you know, just always kind of refocus maybe on, on the goals. Um, yeah. Asking questions, but I actually don't think that that's a universal truth. I think it's really about understanding who the team is. Right. So like, well, let's use a very personal Printavo example, right? Um, we're one of the things that we're struggling with right now is having a long-term roadmap. Um, I think I know how to do a roadmap. I'll just like, this is going to be a very uh, arrogant statement. And I did this whole, like I gave everybody a, a word doc and it had a bunch of things on there. And I was like, this is the play, just go do this. And everybody came back and was like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go do this other thing. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this other thing is not going to work, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. I could admit that. Right. I could be wrong. Maybe it will work. But more importantly, even if it doesn't work, people are bought into it and they're excited about it. And they're doing a lot of things that overlap with the play I want to call. And so at the end of the day, maybe you'll stub your toes, you know, a few times and maybe we won't get to the end product we really want to get to, but we will have accomplished a lot of what I wanted to accomplish anyway. And more importantly, I think people will have learned a lot and grown as a team and as a business, we can afford to make some mistakes right now. Right. On the other hand, one of the other things we really have to do, I think, is like start getting events up and running, trade shows, like getting those back in, in order. That's an area where I don't think we have a lot of room, right? We got a trade show in whatever, three weeks or something like that. Um, and then we've got print hustlers and Bruce not be in charge too. of your palette anymore. Because um, <laughs> for some reason, that makes it back to my warehouse and it's always a shit show. <laughs> So James, if you want to just like on the first of all, I don't understand why the I don't understand why the skids come in multiple pieces at logistics. Something happened. I think someone dissembles the the skid and puts him on the two. Literally, like the Achilles heel at Campus Inc. is the Printavo boot that comes (laughs) like in pieces, wrapped, not even wrapped. It looks like a third grader making an ice cream cone. Um, anyway, I got a, so I got a call. We don't, we don't have time to, to iterate there, right? We're calling plays and we're like, guys, we got to get this figured out. That's and we gotta, we gotta we're going to send right? Bruce, James, back, back in the old days, Bruce would go to Walmart, buy the trade show, and then return it on the weekend. That, <laughs> allegedly, that, was, that, allegedly. Was some, that was some money-saving, uh, money-saving <laughs> activities. But I, I think to your point, like the whole, like, you know, you're going to lay out what your vision is and the team's going to yeah. either accept it or not. And if it comes out of their mouth, there's a better chance that, um, right. you know, there's a better chance that they're, that it'll actually, they'll believe in it. And I think that's something Bruce and I had struggled with is like, ask, don't tell, you know, yeah. try to get them to come up with everything you want to hear, but you can't actually say the words. Um, and if you can do that, then, 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 then that's management, right? So yeah. Um, I think well, and that whole North Star there. challenge that you talked about—that's th- actually the biggest foul, the, the biggest tra- trap that I think a lot of people fall into. They say, "Well, I need to, everybody wants a North Star. I need to give them a North Star." But if you think about what you just said, you can't give them a North Star because inherently they're not going to believe it, right? They have to believe what the North Star is, and that's why I said, like, under—that's why you have to, like, in my mind, you have to differentiate between what North Star. Who are you talking about? The North Star. There are different North Stars, right? Um, those are the four groups I like to think about, but there could be even, you know, subgroups within that, like within customers, there's different kinds of customers. Right. Um, and so letting the team, I think, get through that. And and instead of saying, yes, you're right. We're going to go get you a North star instead of saying, okay, we're going to figure out this North star together. I think those kinds of exercises is painful 
and as much patience as they uh, require. And I hope my grandmother is listening, thinking, realizing that I've taken her advice and I'm trying to get, be more patient. Um, but I do think it makes you a better manager. <laughs> and by the way, like, for the skate thing, <clears throat> I, I, I must've, I must've put the plastic wrap around at least like eight, 10 times. I don't know what, you know, you know what happened? I got a call from some random company um, in Illinois that said, Hey, we've got like a couple things from yours from the last couple of months in our warehouse. And I was like, who, who are you? And they were like some trucking company, you know, in, in the middle of Illinois. <laughs> and I'm like, and what is it? And they're like, it's, it looks like, like random, like a TV box and looks like, like a trade show, you know, box for me. And I was like, Oh my God, because half of it was gone when we were at the last trade show and who knows how it ended up there. But I, d- I just wanted to make it clear. I'm learning. I'm improving my logistic. Uh, uh, if you could put that on Bruce's performance review. Uh, it is, it is, it is I mean, it's on the record. We, we've got it recorded. Yeah, right? if, so, if you could yeah, document exactly. um, that the way he wraps the skids are. Yeah, he, he really could work on it. But that's okay. We, we'll forgive him. Um, he's, he's, being, he's doing a good job. <laughs> Podcasting's your thing, Bruce. Let's yeah. uh, we'll, we'll figure out how to how to wrap skids. Yeah, we'll ask Marcotte. Maybe Matt can handle that for us next time. All right. Thanks for joining us, James. This is James, our new CEO of Printavo and Inksoft, aka Inktavo. Very excited. Thank you for for the time. Got Mr. Stephen Fair. Got a Campus Ink in a really cool hotel. Something. I like the backdrop. Is that is that a green screen or no? I'm in San Diego. Um, oh, little family vacay. Family vacation. We appreciate you guys. I'm Bruce from Printavo. We'll see you guys on the next Printavo Pronouncers podcast episode. All right. Thanks.